0: Where Nobody Knows Your Name it is not filmed in front of a live studio
1: audience. Hello, we're back. It's Barry. Hello, James. Nice to be here. Lovely to see you again.
0: It's great to see you. We're talking about the episode What's Up, Doc, which I've got to tell you, it's a, it's a saucy pun. <laughs> And we'll see why. It aired on the 30th of March, 1989, episode 18 of season 7, which was directed by James Burroughs and written by Brian Pollock and Mert Rich. Where should we start? Cold Open?
1: Yeah, the Cold Open, which is jelly bean themed.
0: Jelly bean themed, yes. I do love a good jelly bean themed Cold Open. Mm. I wish there were more of them. In this one, uh, it's a good old contest of Guess the amount of jelly beans in this here jar.
1: Yes, very popular local fate activity, which I'm terrible at. I've, I've tried this number of times, and I always think, hmm, I can do a little bit of maths and a bit of working out here. Never works, never even come close for me.
0: The trick is, and this has been scientifically proven, that if you get enough people, the average of their guesses tends towards the actual number. So the more people who guess, uh, the more accurate the average of their guesses will be. Mm. So if you just wait around and, <laughs> until a lot of people have done and know down what their guesses are, then do the average, you'll be pretty close.
1: Mm, so that, that goes against the phrase, uh, an individual can be smart, but people are stupid. That breaks the rule. Yeah.
0: Obviously, this would change if you know they, they pulled a fast one on you. Like in, uh, in Taskmaster, there was a big box with tennis balls. Like huge crate, easily a maybe three foot cubed, right? They went, How many balls are in this crate? What they did when they pulled a fast one by where it was only tennis balls on the outside and (laughs) the rest were ping pong
1: balls. (laughs) Were they allowed to rummage?
0: Yep, but they had to have all the balls back in the crate at the end of the task. Oh, wow.
1: Ah, What a great show. Fiendish. (laughs) Mm. Uh, Back to our jelly beans. Uh, What happens, James?
0: Uh, Rebecca's doing this as as a kind of fundraiser the cheers the winner gets an all expenses paid trip to atlantic city woody has the honors of going around asking people for their guesses and i believe it's cliff gives uh, a guess and woody goes ha you're wrong cliff you're off by 163
1: (laughs) (laughs) which at least he's he's now limited to just two guesses two options (laughs) Atlanta City. now Atlantic City. Atlantic City. So it shows my limited knowledge of a, American um, exciting getaways. But is that the equivalent of the UK's Blackpool? <laughs> or is that doing it a huge disservice?
0: I believe, and I might be mistaken, but I think it's what Boardwalk Empire was based on. It's maybe like the, the East Coast equivalent to, to Vegas.
1: Ah, Okay. It's in New Jersey. Well, surely uh, Blackpool is is our equivalent to Vegas. Yes. With all the same glitz and glamour.
0: If you're ever in the UK, uh, American listeners, head to Blackpool, <laughs> time of your life. <laughs> Whatever happens in Blackpool stays in
1: <laughs> Probably including your <laughs> lifeless husk at the end of a week of debauchery.
0: When I, was doing, when I was at a film school, our studios were around the back of the Emmerdale studios, right? And one of our this – might, this might be lost to, to American listeners because it was lost to the international students within the film school, but one of the lecturers went, we've got Emmerdale next door. It's the Yorkshire equivalent to Disneyland. <laughs> <laughs> you saw it in she was going, oh, don't, don't, I'll make a note of that. i better visit that as British folk just trying to hide laughter as this, uh, as this lecturer just uh, rolled his eyes and walked
1: off. Oh, God, <laughs> imagine the collective disappointment when they actually get to see it.
0: By the American uh, listeners, Emmerdale is a soap opera set on a farm. So,
1: <laughs> But
0: anyway, uh, we've talked a lot about things vaguely related to the cold open, so let's talk about the rest of the episode.
1: It starts off with... Sam still pursuing a date with Rebecca, and he he gets a maybe after some some hassling, I should say. <laughs> I'm not sure I'd want a, a date if I had to hassle someone for it. Um, but this leads the bar to question Sam's uh, virility, I guess, uh, whereas he used to be the the king with all the women. He's now resorted to having to chase a woman just to get a maybe.
0: I think chase is the operative word, yeah. All that work for a maybe, Sam, up your game.
1: So he takes that challenge. He does, yeah. And says the next woman who comes into the bar, he will make love to. Which is a, you know, (laughs) he's cutting out a lot of... It's quite the statement.
0: And Carla almost takes advantage of that.
1: Yeah, she does. She runs out the bar saying she'll be the next one. And then uh, Sam says employees are not allowed. So she quits.
0: Oh, uh, I mean, she found the loophole.
1: She did. Um, Carla's uh, long-running sort of strange infatuation with what is actually her good friend, Sam, to the point where it's probably more playful than anything else these days. So the woman who does walk in doesn't really, or sees right through Sam's uh, superficial charms. Yeah. Um, To the point of uh, telling him to clear off. Yeah. She's, she's having none of it and it becomes apparent she's a friend of Fraser and Liliths and uh, an intellectual and a, a psychotherapist as well, and obviously has got sam's number <laughs> 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 What does that phrase mean that, that's a having your I'm, number is that a reference to say a um i don't know something like an institution like the army where you have a
0: i'd imagine it means um an implication of reliability or, or quick contact i would assume it was you know purely for like sexual reasons such as in um jenny i got your number eight six
1: seven five three oh nine i wonder I, I always assumed it was a uh, let's imagine there's a a police badge has got their id number on it um, and by saying i've got your number it's sort of i can trace you kind of thing Mm, This is an interesting one. That's a rabbit hole we might need to uh, dig down into, James.
0: Listeners, send in what it means, or we could Google it, and uh, (laughs) we'd we'd rather you tell us.
1: (laughs) Uh, The modern world has destroyed any sort of intrigue, hasn't it?
0: Uh, Gone are the days where people go, I don't know.
1: Yeah, speculation is dead. (laughs)
0: What Frasier and Lilith basically say is that, yeah, no, Sam's this is what Sam's like. You know, he's he's a bit uh, persistent and and things, but don't take it personally. We know him; he's actually all right. And she's just like, okay, I'll, I'll be aware of him. Then Lilith and we have not actually said her name. Uh, we should probably say her name. Then Lilith and Sheila Vidal, Doctor Sheila Vidal, go up to have. Um, meal, drinks upstairs, whatever and then Frasier goes
1: Well, oh, by the way Sam,
0: yeah. R.E. Dr. Idell.
1: I must say I concur completely, you know most women who go into psychiatry are real bowsers but uh, I wouldn't kick her off the couch for eating crackers you know
0: Frasier I can hear you and so can your unborn child <laughs> will
1: he be able to escape from this one? Let's watch. What i could say was, um, please, 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 forgive me. And um, do you think we have time to stop by Tiffany's on the way home? Good boy. He's a cad, isn't he, Frazier? <laughs> really, he's experienced. He's taken. He's now. A, he's almost a split personality now. He's the intellectual, and he's the man of the bar, and the two conflict an awful lot in him.
0: Uh, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Crey. <laughs>
1: our Sheila lady actually apologises to uh, Sam. Carla voices
0: up her concerns and says, like, Sam, I don't believe it. You lost your touch, Sam. You and, uh, as you said, this Sheila lady, um, which (laughs) felt like you were auto-translating from Australian. (laughs) (laughs) um, (laughs) Carla says, what's going on, Sam? She shot you down. And Sam's like, no, we're sparring. You know, it's like a game.
1: It's a game of cat and mouse. And Cliff comes up with a... Altogether creepy idea of pretending he's somehow psychologically impaired uh, in order to get into her professional room and have an appointment.
0: I was wondering what you're going to say. But yeah, you no. Know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and in theory, I can understand how it makes sense. In practice, it's ludicrous. But in theory, if you want to see a doctor have something wrong with you. <laughs> that's what a doctor is for
1: yeah it's
0: i'm not suggesting it i'm not suggesting the doctor my my toe is broken how did that happen i definitely did not drop weights on it
1: on purpose yeah I, I, i'm trying to think of other other situations where this would be okay like ruffling your hair up uh, and going to get a hair cut or style because you want to see the hairdresser that's okay yeah, that's, I don't think that's creepy. That's... But the line certainly is, is crossed when you're creating a your own psychological
0: problem. Going to the corner shop, buying yourself a snack because <laughs> because you like the person who works there.
1: Yeah. Okay, so he's he's decided that he will do this. Uh, worryingly, Cliff's the one who came up with the suggestion. Um, and I would love to see a spin off episode of. Cliff attempting to chat up ladies in all these really odd, creepy ways. Thing is, Cliff could pretend he's got a whole
0: (laughs) litany of of psychological issues. Yes, pretend. The trick is, with any good lie, to have it related to the truth. Yes. So, So that it's almost imperceptible from the truth.
1: Yeah, so any digging would encounter the true dirt before the... The lying dirt. Yeah.
0: Uh, as well as having it contain something that slightly embarrassing because, as we've said before, no one will think you'd lie something embarrassing.
1: Yeah. yeah. Although, as we next find out in the next scene when Sam visits... That's uh, the
0: exact thing he does.
1: Yeah. So he lies on the couch in uh, Dr. Rydell's office and he attempts... To describe his impotency <laughs> uh, using one or two metaphors. Oh heck, I'm not going to mince words with you here. I, lately, I haven't been able to get the old root cranking. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. Um. Well, it's like, uh, it's like it's like my favorite shirt is a little light in the start. <laughs> Are you trying to say that you're impotent? No, don't
0: oh, don't use that word. <laughs> which is where the, the wordplay in the title comes from. Which, if you see it listed in TV guide, you go, oh yeah, yeah, Bugs Bugs Bunny. And I've done a presentation about the origins of that phrase. It was Clark Gable, basically, is what it comes down to. Yeah, in TV guide, you go, oh, that's a fun little reference, and then you go, oh, oh, this is a, <laughs> this is an episode about Sam
1: Yes. Oh, yeah, I didn't think of it that way, but thank you, James, for putting that image in my my brain.
0: <laughs> I mean, that's that's what that's what it was referring to.
1: Yeah, yeah, and uh, Sam's gentles are not up uh, to uh, push that phrase. <laughs> it seems that uh, our Doctor Rydell is well on top of Sam's ruse. That's yeah. Uh- I'm not deliberately doing this anymore. I think it's just very difficult to avoid.
0: Yeah, very select phrasing there, Barry. Uh,
1: yeah, I, I think it, I, I could have said his limp ruse.
0: <laughs> oh, my. But uh, yeah, no, she deduces it quite quickly and says, well, <laughs> this is what she says, it's not really my area, which, again... <laughs> She's not a urologist, but (laughs) what she does suggest is that Sam, won join a group session, which is uncomfortable.
1: Oh, don't feel uneasy about Dr. Mueller. Those uh, charges linking him to the Gestapo were grossly exaggerated. (laughs) Excuse me? He was merely a consultant. Actually, his technique is somewhat controversial. You'll have to go in there and proclaim your sexual disorder to the group.
0: You want me to say that in front of other people?
1: Oh, there are only half a dozen men in there, just like yourself. And of course, the 20 or 30 observing nurses. (laughs) Just go in there, stand up and say, I'm Sam Malone and I no longer function as a man. (laughs) Uh, Which is the point where it becomes very obvious that this is a ruse.
0: But not only is it a group session, it's a group session uh, run by Dr. Heinrich Mueller, (laughs) which is a real doctor. (laughs) <laughs> uh, he was a doctor who was um, part of Operation Paperclip.
1: <laughs> oh dear, that doesn't sound very good. Well, do you know of Operation Paperclip? Uh, no, but I assume, given what the episode says, that it's something to do with the Gestapo.
0: Yeah, uh, basically, following World War II, uh the US recruited a number, it's quite a large number, It's it's in the thousands, they recruited thousands of formerly Nazi scientists. Uh, in order for their, their government. So things like the space race were helped due to people who were formerly Nazis. But Dr. Heinrich Müller, from what I can gather, uh, was the head of the Gestapo from September 39 until 1945, which is not a coincidence.
1: No, that's a very, very impressive CV.
0: <laughs> what did you do in that time? Well, do you know World War Two? <laughs> Uh so yeah, so what I put in my notes is Sam so being recommended to see a Nazi scientist to cure impotence it sounds more like a rick and morty plot than a cheers plot <laughs> it does, doesn't it but yeah, he having none of it, he's <laughs> he's uh at that point he's like, uh, uh, yeah no I've cured him all right, you know don't worry about it,
1: to which surprisingly the Doctor sees some vulnerability in him and and actually agrees to a date.
0: Yeah, because he, he's quite open that the whole reason he was there was just to see her. And I think we find out in a, in a few scenes why she agreed so readily to the date. And it was quite interesting. I thought it was, yeah, a good development how they, how they played this out. Yes. Um But basically, he goes, I just wanted to see you. And as you say, she sees the vulnerability there, agrees to the date, but not without revealing that she switched from her tape recorder to the intercom.
1: Yeah, which is hilarious, uh, as we see by the giggling people outside in the corridor, but also one of the biggest breaches of confidentiality, patient confidentiality that you could possibly do. But obviously she knew Sam was in there as a ruse. So
0: They have a date, surprising, but let's see how it plays out. They arrive back at Cheers quite late because there's not really any other barflies there. And I think it's either just Carla or just Rebecca. One of the staff members is there.
1: It's just Carla. Yeah. And actually, Carla gives a very nice line uh, on her way out of the bar. Sam has brought... Dr. Sheila Rydell and him have had this date. And they come back to the bar, and it's just Carla left. So Carla is heading home and leaves the two of them alone. And she says, Don't forget to put the stools on the bar. And Sam says, We'll do it later. And Carla says, I certainly hope so, but take care of the stools as well. But dumb. But don't. All these cheers jokes uh, with Sam and women always seem to happen within earshot of the women. <laughs> I always wonder what they're thinking. Uh, in this case, she's well aware. Yeah.
0: She does she well aware. And, uh, More than flattered, it's hopeful,
1: yeah, yeah. So, Sam can't resist trying to get a genuine diagnosis from Sheila.
0: Well, he says that you know, I'm glad you're not like a typical psychiatrist, I'm glad you weren't diagnosing me throughout the dinner. And she makes the mistake of going, Well, I was, I just didn't tell you. It's mistake number one, Sheila,
1: yeah. And Sam, he can't resist knowing what that diagnosis was, and so he pushes. And he pushes until he hears the truth, uh, which actually doesn't bother him one bit. The the truth is that he's a... Sexual compulsive. Yeah, uh, and his only drive is women and sex and there's nothing else to him. You say it doesn't bother him.
0: He's not bothered by sex being such a big part of his life. He's bothered by the comment that he's got nothing else going for him.
1: Yes, but also there's another thing that truly bothers him. And that's the idea that she knows this and she wants to use him.
0: Yeah. He's, uh, he tries to argue and say, no, no, I've got other things going on. And she's like, no, no, it's okay, Sam. Let's just go back to my place. And I thought this was a very good exchange.
1: Well, Sam, come on. Why don't we just forget the whole thing and go back to my place? What? You still want to go to bed even though sex is supposedly the only thing I have in my life? Exactly. And so I assume you're rather good at it. (laughs) You would actually have sex with somebody you don't even respect? Well, isn't that what you do with women? Yeah, but I cover it up. (laughs) And this is
0: why I found Sheila a fascinating character. Because she's so openly uh, doing what Sam does with women all the time yeah has no shame in it, and doesn't need to have shame in it because why not
1: yeah, and it's a very a very modern look at sort of the role of men and women in a sexual conquest, um which has now become well is becoming more even where it's suddenly okay for the woman to want sex as well rather than be the object of a man's desires and be coerced into the act. Um, and I really like that she's flipped the tables on Sam and put him exactly where he puts women most of the time. And he doesn't like it. He doesn't. He's, no, he's not okay with that. Yeah, but isn't it strange that actually she's providing the exact thing that he wants, but because it's not on his terms, he's uncomfortable with it. Exactly. She's a smart one. Mm. Yeah, she's won this round. Sheila leaves. Sheila leaves. With the offer of, well, the offer's still there, essentially, any time. Sam's
0: got her number.
1: Mm. Mm. Good callback, James.
0: Still don't know what it means.
1: No, And uh, in fact, how did Sam get her professional psychiatry certificate number <laughs> or whatever this number is? I assume Fasier slipped it to him on the sly because
0: <laughs> Lilith wouldn't have...
1: Yeah. Sam's left a little unsure of himself. Rebecca, turns out Rebecca's been hiding in her office and she comes through on her way home and notices that Sam is having a, a bit of a crisis and solves his crisis in the oddest way. It all goes very odd and slapstick for a moment.
0: It does. Before we say that, let's talk about the cast. And it's basically just Dr. Sheila Vidal. The other guest cast are Dr. Lilith Sternan, play by B.B. Newerth. Philip Perlman as Phil and Al Rosen as Al, both uncredited. Madeline Smith Osborne uh, played Dr. Sheila Rydell. She also appeared in Urban Cowboy, Trapper John MD, 2010, The Year We Make Contact, The Caller, Funny Farm, The Plot to Kill Hitler, The Kennedys of Massachusetts, Class of 96, Due South, and many more. It's a real (laughs) range.
1: (laughs) Oh, I love hearing those titles. (laughs) Just... <laughs> the plot to kill Hitler. <laughs> uh, cracking. And
0: Rebecca has to, I don't think comfort is necessarily the correct word, but reassure Sam mm. that he has other things in his life.
1: Yes. And, and at the point that that started to happen, I mean, she ran through the bar. There's actually a really nice line where she says, you've got the bar. And he says, no, that's, that's to get babes. He says, oh, well, you've got a really nice car. That's to get babes. He says, well, you really like sailing, babes on waves.
0: <laughs> I do know and have known a couple of people who, not necessarily for means of a sexual conquest, but who in a lot of things in their life do it with a specific goal in mind. And it's all very single goal focused, whether that's career or whether that's uh, for means of, of sexual conquest and i don't necessarily see the appeal of it i i think you only you'll only let yourself down for disappointment if everything you do is for one specific
1: goal yes and at some point either achieving that goal or when that goal no longer becomes an opportunity what are you left with certainly at some point you'll retire and we we know a lot of people really struggle with that and what to do with themselves at some point you're either not going to find a woman or you will find a woman and settle down with that woman uh, or man or you know whatever but you once you've reached that goal what's next and people who are single-minded and determined they tend to have one focus at a time that they absolutely go for and it it might become something else like the gym after that or some sort of uh, hobby
0: it's the same reason when people go oh what's your life plan what do you want to what you're hoping to do in five ten years i'm like i don't I don't know
1: <laughs> as someone who's now got house child dog running around, I certainly didn't plan all these things. they were hopes and dreams, but at no point did I have a an aim to do this by this point or what have you. A lot of it just kind of springs on you, and hopefully it's a pleasant surprise when it does but yeah i'm not I'm not single minded in that sense no. I think
0: it's good to have dreams, Mm. uh, but don't prescribe yourself to the necessity of their fulfilment. That's very wise, James. (laughs) Yeah, no, I thought so too. But yeah, um, it turns out Sam has one thing in his life which he can't possibly connect to sex or women in any way.
1: Yeah, and it's just become apparent to me, James, that actually the episode should have finished with what you just said rather than what they actually did. (laughs) Uh, because we, you've just you made a really nice philosophical statement, and now we're going to talk about Sam liking the Three Stooges. Yep, and why not? You ever yeah.
0: watched the Three Stooges?
1: Yeah, I, I was more a Abbott and Costello. I really liked George Formby and Norman Wisdom and people like that. But yeah, the Stooges were much more of a, an American thing. I'm not sure they've become.
0: Lauren and Hardy became very popular here as well. Yes,
1: and I really enjoyed Lauren Hardy too. But Three Studios never really had the same level of popularity over in the UK. Not sure why, really.
0: But their influence is certainly seen mm. you know, a lot of things. I think Monty Python, potentially.
1: Potentially, and, and this probably isn't the best compliment I can ever give them, but the Chuckle Brothers. I mean, that is a pretty good compliment, actually. But, Chuckle
0: Brothers went on for like 20-odd years, didn't it?
1: That's true, and brought joy to millions of children and hopefully the adults that were watching it with their children too. I certainly loved it. But it's a very niche UK kind of thing, isn't it?
0: Yeah. But I think you could watch it on mute and it would be international because it's slapstick. <laughs> yeah. 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 Whereas if you watch it, you hear the, now then, now. <laughs> Just-
1: yeah. <laughs> to our American and worldwide listeners, the Chucker Brothers is a children's TV show about two... Brothers. Uh, <laughs> yeah, two sort of moustached aging brothers who get up to hijinks, uh, but in a very slapstick. It was weird because it was
0: it started in the 80s when the moustaches made sense and it kept going until the 2000s when they were in their 50s or 60s easily and the moustaches no longer made sense. To-
1: but at the same time, they worked yeah. because it's almost, they were men trapped in time, weren't they? And they, yeah. they represented a type, um, yeah. you know, rightly or wrongly, they became a stereotype in themselves. Yeah, it was great. And and look at us waxing lyrical about how much we love the Chuckle Brothers. And that's exactly what Sam is like with The the Three Stooges. Maybe it's not so absurd after all. No, I I think
0: slapstick comedy, particularly for children, always has has a soft spot for people. There's something heartwarming. And I suppose it answers an earlier question we raised in a previous episode about why people like clowns. There's something heartwarming about the slapstick it reminds us of a simpler time before we knew how words worked.
1: Yeah, and I have to say, I, I, going from children's entertainment to something much more adult, but Bottom, uh, which is a, a, a British show about two men in a, a flat, is is slapstick. It's it's sort of, sort of the adult evolution of something like the Three Stooges, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it's um, it, one of them has the surname Hitler. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's a very, very slapstick adult toilet humour. It's brilliant. That's the end of our episode, really. Sam is relieved that he is not such a one-track-minded, shallow individual as to only want to chase girls. He also likes the Three Stooges (laughs) as well. (laughs) There's two things I like in life. Women and the Three Stooges. (laughs) And as always, the character is reset back to zero. As always is the case at the end of these episodes.
0: Got uh, some trivia here from the office of Dr. Sheila Rydell. Well, thanks. You can go now. (laughs) She'll be back. (laughs) But as usual, before we open our letters, we have to give a shout out to our norms on Patreon. So this goes out to Treb Curry. If you want that special norm treatment, then check out our Patreon page for that and so much more. How many jelly beans are in the jar? Oh. Now, as you pointed out right at the start of the episode, there's two possible answers.
1: There is. I think that... So Cliff is the one who makes a guess. Does he guess 3,500? Well, if I tell you
0: that, then I'd give away the answer.
1: Well, and I think that uh, Woody says something like 132 out. So it's either... One hundred thirty-two above three thousand five hundred, or one hundred thirty-two below three thousand five hundred.
0: I mean, you're off, but only by <laughs> by about thirty. Oh, well, I'm way. pleased with that. Uh, the answer is either three thousand three hundred thirty-seven or three thousand six hundred and sixty-three. Either way, that's
1: uh, enough jelly beans.
0: <laughs> How many are in this jar? Ooh, too much. <laughs> <laughs> it's um. Reminds me of the old is the glass half full or half empty? And you know, you talk about the way that optimists or pessimists or realists see it. My favorite one is how a a physicist or a scientist sees it and just goes, Well, the glass is twice the size it needs to be.
1: (laughs) Dr. Sheila Rydell, what is her mini CV when she's introduced? uh, what background is Fraser Crane give us about her
0: she oh now this is a good question i'd imagine something like harvard educated one of the ivy
1: league i don't know their standing um but they're a bit more local to us or boston uh to, to cheers <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> uh to to cheers um university of massachusetts
1: <laughs> no, it's a clinical psychiatrist and fellow at boston university of course.
0: What is Doctor Vidal's drinks order?
1: Oh, it's something small. I, I can remember Sam pouring her on the bar. It's a little uh, thimble-shaped-sized shot of something. Um, I don't know. Go on, James. It's a uh, Manhattan.
0: Put a cherry in it, and then put a sock in it.
1: Oh, that's yeah. Earlier on, when she sends them away. And then the eating of the cherry is what convinces Sam that uh, starting this ruse would be a good idea.
0: Yeah, as she walks off, she eats the cherries seductively. How dare she?
1: Yeah, I don't think it's that seductive. For my mind, it's just because she doesn't eat it instantly. <laughs> I, think, I think anything that lingers in the mouth uh, would probably make Sam turn his head, but she really doesn't put any extra effort into it. You say it. that.
0: It'd be weird if you went, what would you have in there? Kendall mint cake.
1: Just yeah. <laughs> uh, a peanut butter sandwich. <laughs> oh look at her look at her try and desperately lick a bit that's got stuck to her tooth. <laughs> like like a dog. You know when you get a give dog peanut butter yeah. uh, and it or toffee and it gets stuck on teeth, and they're just licking away. <laughs> give me one of Sam's metaphors for his impotency when he arrives in a, on the psychiatry couch?
0: I can't remember them. So I'll quote one I heard in that 70s show. There's a lot of Amish people, but not enough to raise a bar. <laughs>
1: uh, the, well, I, I, it's a bit of a devious question, actually. Uh, well, devious is the wrong word, but I actually don't understand one of the things he said. To the point of having to listen to it three or four times a few google searches uh, and i still don't understand what he said he seems to say he's having trouble getting the evan rube cranking i've done searches and i cannot fathom what he's saying i've got a little bit lost because there's a guy called evan who makes rude goldberg machines so that comes up quite a lot and evan root seems to be someone of note in some field but it doesn't seem to link to this so I'm completely at a loss. This might be one for your...
0: Unless it's Boston rhyming slang. Evan Root. (laughs) Shoot.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Maybe one for the listeners to solve that little problem.
0: This episode has raised more questions than answers.
1: (laughs) It has. But I can tell you his other metaphor, which was his favourite shirt is light in the starch.
0: I understand that one.
1: Yeah, that one makes sense. (laughs)
0: Last call. What what drink should we have? A cherryless Manhattan.
1: <laughs> no, I think we should keep the cherries, James. Let's have a little uh, cherry tying contest. Okay. Are you feeling un- uncomfortable of the idea sitting opposite me as we both swish our tongues around, trying to manipulate a cherry stalk
0: unsuccessfully?
1: <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. I think there's a very good chance my cherry will dissolve before the task <laughs> is achieved.
0: So yeah, Manhattan's sounds delicious. Thank you for listening. This has been Where Nobody Knows Your Name, a cheerless podcast.